So we've recently moved Josie out of her crib into a regular bed. And that has come with its unique set of challenges. Josie, for one, is usually one of the first people up in the morning, if not the first person up in the morning. And normally, then, our days now begin like this. We're dead asleep in our room, and suddenly Josie knocks on the door, walks in, and goes, Mommy! Daddy! Awake! Awake! And she jumps on our bed, and she goes, Mommy! Awake! Daddy! Awake! We're like, well, we are now, you know? <laughs> Or sometimes I'm like, well, kind of awake. Maybe not completely awake at this point. But the other day, she did something a little different. It was something we didn't expect. We heard her door open up, but she didn't come in our room. And so then we got kind of scared. And so we grabbed the monitor, and we looked at the monitor, the video monitor we have in our house. And Josie had come out of her room walked into the nursery and flipped on the light in the nursery and was yelling, baby awake, baby awake. <laughs> Millie's sitting there blinking, like she trying to crawl around going, what in the world is happening right now? I mean, Josie just wanted her little sister to know that it was morning, that the dawn has come and that light's shine and she doesn't have to lay around in darkness anymore. That's all Josie wanted. Uh, thankfully, she hasn't done it again since then. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, like I said, verses 1 through 6, and it's the, the last section of this, the last paragraph of this section of this letter where Paul is, is talking about being bold and to shine the light boldly like Josie, Josie to people and say, hey, the light has come. It's time to wake up. It's daytime. Paul, as in most of a lot of 2 Corinthians, he's, one of the things he's dealing with is these false teachers that have come into court. These people look good, and they sounded great, and they had a following, but their motivations were off, and their theology wasn't great. And they maybe even were trying to actually turn the church of Corinth against Paul. And so Paul, in his attempt, as he's talking about his own ministry, he's defining what he is as a Christian and how that's different from these other guys that have come in and their version of Christianity. And the thing that really makes Paul stand out is that he's not fake. He's real and he's bold. And in this last section here, then, Paul knows and he understands just the difficulty it is talking to people about Jesus. It's hard to talk to people about Jesus. And so he's going to give some encouraging words on Exactly what should we do and when the times do get hard when we're talking about Jesus? Or if we talk to somebody and they, they don't respond the way we hope they would respond. How, how is our reaction to that? And we hope that he can encourage us with these things today. And so Paul, first, in the first four verses, he's going to describe his own ministry. and He serves as a model then for two qualities we should have when we are talking to other people about Jesus. And the first of those qualities is we need to be biblical. We need to share and shine the gospel light clearly. So let's read this passage. If let's read, go ahead and just read all of it. It says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. For we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in trickery nor distorting the word of God, but by the open proclamation of the truth, commending ourselves to every person's constant conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants on account of Jesus. For God, who said light shall shine out in the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So the first thing Paul does in verses 1 and 2, he says, be biblical, shine the gospel light clearly. He says, therefore, since we have received this ministry. What ministry is he talking about? Well, he's going back to chapter 3. If you've been with us, you know that in chapter 3, he's been talking about the gospel. And he talked about how the power to see people be changed by Jesus isn't in our own sufficiency, but the gospel itself is sufficient to change people. And then he talks about how people's minds are blinded and their hearts are veiled because of the sin in their life. But Jesus has the power to tear the veil and allow people to see the gospel light. He says, since we have this ministry, which we've received from God's mercy, we do not lose heart. Instead, he said, we renounce things hidden because of shame. He's clearly making a dig at these other teachers in verses 1 and 2. He's clearly referencing these guys. Because these guys have come in and they embodied the Corinthian culture. So they were willing to do whatever it takes or say whatever it takes as long as they had somebody that was following them or somebody that was believing in them and they were accepted as a teacher. And so they just said whatever the Corinthian culture wanted to hear so that people would follow them. And he's saying, hey, we are not, we have received a mercy. We have received a ministry. We are stewards of this thing, the gospel. And so we're not supposed to just go around and do whatever it takes and, and sacrifice things in order for people to follow us. He says we're just called to be biblical. And we can understand the concern that Paul has and these other guys can too. Because when you have people in your life that are not following Jesus, it is tempting sometimes to do or say whatever it takes just to get them back into church or do and say whatever it takes just to get them to follow Jesus. Because we know, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a conviction in your heart that they are lost and they have chosen a path that if they continue down that path, they've chosen a path that leads to hell. And we're worried about them because of that. And we're concerned about them because of that. But when they continue to reject, we can sometimes be like, I just want to get you to church. I just want you to say yes. I just want you to say a prayer. And we can feel tempted to compromise what we believe or compromise what we do just to get a positive response. But we need to stop and take a breath and breathe and ask ourselves, are we allowed to do whatever it takes to get somebody to walk an aisle? And the answer that Paul says here is no. That we are stewards of the gospel, that, that we have, there's a a product that we've given to us, and we're, we're given the gospel to give to other people. We're given the God's word to give to other people, and it's not in our authority to change it or to cut it apart or to modify these things just to get somebody in the church or just to get somebody to say yes. We don't have that authority. All we can do is be biblical and share the gospel life clearly. Now, they might not agree with the gospel message when we're biblical, but at least they commend us for saying that we're, we're sharing what's actually in Scripture and not changing it just to get somebody's preferences. 
The problem with modifying the gospel in order to get somebody to just say yes to Jesus is it's false advertising. And just like a product that's false advertising, it, it doesn't have the power to change. It doesn't have the power to save. And eventually, they're going to either figure that out or they're going to live a life that's a lie. Ashley, as I'm talking before, she buys a lot of stuff online. And you have to be careful when you buy stuff online because sometimes what's in the pictures is not what you actually get in the mail. <coughs> she was notified um, about a year ago, I guess, about a deal that was going on. And if you went to Amazon, you saw it. It was this plastic, it looked like a plastic box that had nice little neat dividers in it. And each of the nice little neat dividers in this plastic box were hair accessories. All these hair ties, these hair clips, some rubber, rubber bands that were colored. It looked great. It was 240 pieces. And it was 80% off at $5. People were buying this thing on Amazon in droves. I mean, just constantly. They were, they were running out like crazy with this. But when people actually got the product in the mail, their response was just as sizing. <laughs> because instead of it coming in this nice, nice little piece, plastic box with dividers in it, it came in like basically a Ziploc sack. And instead of having all these clips and all these hair ties and that kind of stuff, it was almost completely colored rubber bands with only a few hair clips thrown in and a few hair ties. And people were mad. They were commenting one star. Oh, we're so mad about this. This is not the way you advertise it. People were returning it like crazy. It was uh, a sight to behold. The problem with not delivering the true gospel, as bad as we want people to buy our product, if I can use that, is that it's false advertising. It's a gospel that's not real. It's a Jesus that's not real. And a Jesus and a gospel that's not real doesn't have the power to change people's lives. It doesn't have the power to save people. So then people either receive and continue on with their lives having a Jesus that's not the real Jesus, or they return it. And they're completely turned away from Christianity. Paul says that you as a Christian have received a ministry as part of God's mercy. That ministry is that you are a steward of the gospel that God has given you in your heart. And as a steward, that means you don't own the Bible. You don't own, you might own a Bible, but you don't own the Bible. You don't own the gospel. You're just a caretaker taking care of somebody else's property. And so our job is, is to not act like we have authority to do what we want with it. Our job is just to dispense it as God has told us to. And so that really means three things for us today. One of those is if you are not a Christian and you're, you're thinking about trying to decide, or if you're online, you're thinking about trying to decide if you want to join Christianity and what, what version of Christianity that we see out there, I just want to tell you the truth. That Jesus Christ is not a mere man, but he's the Son of God. He died on the cross as a substitution for us to pay the penalty for our sins. And he's rose from the grave three days later. And he did that so that whoever comes to Jesus in faith receives forgiveness of their sins, a relationship with God, and eternal life. Because he's the only way and the truth of life. And no one gets to the Father except through Jesus. I know that message is one that's not rightly accepted or maybe hard to understand, but it's the truth. 
And if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus and you know you need to do that, I'll let to give you a chance at the end of the sermon. But it secondly means something for us as a church. It means that we as a church need to be biblical. Compromise can build, can build crowds in churches. But we're not called to just build a crowd. We're called to share the gospel clearly. And so our job is just to share the gospel clearly without compromise and just let God build the crowds. As Paul says here, he says, hey, we, we're not distorting the word of God. We're not using trickery, which means you're not being manipulative or, or changing things. He says we're not adulterating the word of God, which was a word used of uh, wine sellers who used to pour water or, or bad wine into something and sell it, even though it wasn't that. And there was other teachers that would go around, and they were actually compelled to these wine sellers, and that they were selling products that they knew weren't true just to get money from people and have a following. It says we're not called to use manipulation and sacrifice the gospel. We're not called to sacrifice the gospel for the sake of entertaining people. We're not called to sacrifice the gospel for uh, to just build a crowd. We're just called to share the gospel. And guys, there are Christians and churches that are not doing what this passage says. The growing number of people in America, growing number of adults, even though Christianity is proclaimed and named on surveys as being the number one religion in America, a growing number of American adults say that Jesus is not the only way to God, that as long as you have a faith in something and you're a good person, you make it to God. That's not what the Bible says, but, but Christians are accepting that. And there are churches out there who are willing to reject portions of the word of God just so that they can build more people into their church. Churches that reject, for example, that uh, a lifestyle of homosexuality or a lifestyle of sexual freedom, they, they reject that those things are sin. And even though the Bible in multiple places clearly say it's a sin, just because they know if they do that, they can get more people through their doors. Guys, we're just called to be biblical. We can't just do whatever we want to try to get as many people as we can in here. You can't do whatever you want just to get somebody to say a prayer. And as individuals, then, it means that we need to be biblical in how we talk to people, too. Biblical and not just in how you behave, but biblical in what you say when you share the gospel to people. Have you written your name down over here of one person you can share the gospel with? Have you prayed for that person to be saved? Have you prayed for a chance to be bold with them? It might be hard for them to accept. We just need to be biblical. So he's going to model two things for us in his ministry that can be an encouragement to us when things get hard. The first thing he says is be biblical to shine the gospel light clearly. And the second thing he's going to tell us is be encouraged. Shine gospel light, even though to some people it's going to remain veiled. He says in verses 3 and 4, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's almost like Paul could hear these some people in the Corinthian church that they really didn't like Paul's way of doing stuff. It's almost like they're going like, okay, Paul, that's great. You know, that's awesome. Your way of doing ministry is awesome. But, you know, these guys over here, they seem like they're getting a lot more people to come after them. And, Paul, when you're doing, it seems like there's a lot of people that are rejecting you. How can you say that their way is, is worse than your way? And so Paul says, hey, look, 
if somebody doesn't accept the gospel and tell it to them, it's not my fault. It's the fault that they have their minds and hearts veiled. Earlier in chapter 3, like we said last week, he said the Jewish people's minds and hearts were veiled to the fact that the Old Testament points us to Jesus. Now he widens it to everybody. And he says everybody, because of sin in our life, have a veil over our hearts and minds that prevents us from seeing the light of Christ. In fact, he's, those who are perishing in the Greek, in verse 3, is actually first in the sentence for emphasis. In other words, this is not God's doing. This is our doing, our sin, the perishing, the ones who are choosing to perish, are the reason why we have a veil over our heart. But then Paul, in 4, understands that it's not just about individuals having sin, that it's also about spiritual warfare. Paul has had his, his, his troubles in the past with all kinds of stuff, but he knew with all the persecution going on, spiritual opposition was one of the worst things also. And he says it's not just the fault of individuals having sin, but there is a God of this world who is a reference to Satan, who is actively seeking to keep people from being saved. And he's real, and he's purposely blinding people and keeping people from seeing the light of God that's in the face of Christ. And so he says it's not just a matter of the veil being our individual sin. It's a matter of us realizing that we're fighting a spiritual battle against Satan himself. And it's almost like a cloud. On a cloudy day, you know, the clouds are covering the sky and you can't see the sun. You can't see the light of the sun as well. You can't feel the warmth as well. But that doesn't mean the sun's not there. That means temporarily there's clouds keeping people from feeling the light and warmth of the sun. He says in the same way, Satan can come and he can cause people to temporarily be blinded to the truth that there's light and warmth in Christ. The truth that the battle against darkness is already over and been won. In 1945, on the island of the Philippines, the Allied forces in World War II invaded the Philippines. And this was near the end. The Japanese people were in retreat. It looked like the war was going to be over, but they were still fighting. And on that date in 1945, the commanding army commanding officer of the army there in the Philippines was preparing to leave and he turned to a guy named Hiro Onoda who was a commando, a Japanese commando and he said, go in the jungle and cause as much trouble as you can and we'll come back for you. It might take three years, it might take five years, but keep fighting because we will come back for you. So Onoda went into, his, Onoda went into the thick of the jungle in the Philippines and disappeared well, several months later, the Japanese forces surrendered to the Allied forces, and World War II was over. The victory had been won. There was no more war, but Anoda didn't know that. He was so steep, deep in the jungle, he was already there. He hadn't heard that the, the fighting had stopped and that victory had been won, and there was peace now. And so he continued his orders. He continued to have little skirmishes against Philippine tribes and continue to steal and, and disrupt roads and, tr and trade supplies and stuff. And the people knew he was there. They just couldn't find him because he was, he was a commando, essentially. And so after the war ended, a few months later, they, would dro they dropped pamphlets into the, into the forest where he was. And they said, 
hey, the war is over, come out from the mountains. And it wasn't just him, but there were other Japanese at the time that were doing this. And, and so they were trying to reach all of them. Hey, come out from the mountains, the war is over. And that didn't help Anoda, he didn't believe it. So then they dropped more pamphlets to the mountains with orders from the Japanese head general saying, you're ordered to come out of the mountains, there's no more war. And Anoda looked at those and he thought they were fakes. So he just kept fighting. And a decade rolled by, and two decades rolled by. And Anoda kept fighting a war that had been over for everybody else for years. He weaved clothes for himself using the jungle. He would steal rice and he would steal meat to eat, as long with eating things like eels and rats and that kind of stuff in the jungle. And the Philippine people knew he was out there because he kept fighting them. He kept stealing their stuff. They just couldn't catch him. Finally, in 1952, they got pictures from his family and letters from his family, and they dropped them on the, the mountain trying to convince him, hey, the war's over. You need to quit fighting. He looked at those, and he still thought they were fake, and he still kept fighting. He said he wasn't going to quit fighting until, until his general came and told him face to face. It was time to surrender. Finally, in 1974, 29 years after World War II was over, his commanding general met him in a field in the Philippines. And he said, I know I took a little longer than I told you, but I'm here. It's time to surrender. And Hiro Noto, in his clothes tattered, still in a Japanese uniform, surrendered finally and realized that the war was over. A war that he alone had been fighting. Nobody else had. Guys, there's a lot of people in this world, and maybe you're listening today and you're one of those people who thinks that the battle against darkness is still raging, who thinks that there's still war going on against darkness and sin and the, the, the torturous things of this world. But I'm here to tell you the war has been over for a long time. God himself came to earth as Jesus Christ, and when he died on the cross and was buried and rose from the grave, Jesus took the two greatest weapons Satan had against us, he didn't do that for himself because he didn't need to do it for himself. He did it for us. He took <coughs> sin and he took death and he took those weapons from Satan. And so now what we see in the world is, yeah, there's still sin in the world. Yeah, there's still disasters in the world. But they're, they're squirmishes. They're holdouts. They're not battles that determine victory. The victory has already been won. <laughs> it's people still fighting even though the war has already been over. And our job in believers when it comes to evangelism is we're not telling people like in wartime, hey, you need to pick a side, the allies or the axis. That's not what we're doing. We're not telling people to pick a side. We're telling people the war's over. Put down your weapons. Get out of the bunker. The darkness is gone. The light's come. Surrender to the king who has won the victory for you. That's what evangelism is. And so Paul tells them, hey, we might know people, and it could be a struggle, because you might know somebody who needs Christ, and it's almost like this veil. It's, it's, I know people like this. It's literally like there's a wall there. There's one thing or two things that they just cannot get over in order to accept Christ. He says we need to be encouraged by two things, and one is that Christ can rend the veil. In verse 1, he says, we do not lose heart, which is how I'm getting this idea of being encouraged. 
That word lose heart means to be discouraged, means to, to give up or to grow lax in what you know you need to be doing and to kind of lay over and be apathetic and be easy about it. He says we do not lose heart. Even though that person has not accepted Christ, even though that person has been resistant to Christ, even though it seems like there's a veil that's there, we serve a God who's won the war and has rent the veil. So be encouraged. Don't grow lax. Don't give up. And pray. The two greatest weapons we have as Christians is the Bible and prayer. Talking to people about Jesus is not the same as explaining a math problem. It's not the same as showing somebody how to do mechanic work in a car. It's not the same as, as thinking about ideas or sharing the news for somebody. Talking to people about Jesus is spiritual warfare. And so if we're fighting against opposition of Satan himself, we should use the weapons we have, which is scripture and it's prayer. Prayer as individuals and prayer as a church. Be encouraged. Pray. And so that's Paul's ministry. He, the model he showed to us is we're telling people about Jesus. He says, be biblical. Just share the gospel clearly. And be encouraged, even if people are veiled. But finally, these last two verses, we get the reason why Paul is motivated to do this. His own personal motivation to share about Jesus to other people. And he says he, he shines the light of Christ because Christ first shone the light in his own heart. Christ has given you a light to shine, to shine. He says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants on account of Jesus. For God who has said, The light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In verse 5, again, you can feel him. He's, he's like a boxer just jamming these guys in the face with his words here, these false teachers. In other words, he's looking at these other guys. He says, they're preaching themselves. They're promoting themselves. We do not do that. We're not up here to try to gather a following. We're not up here trying to get more money. He says, we talk about Jesus. And he says, if we mention ourselves at all, it's to describe ourselves as slaves for Jesus. In Corinth, like, they, like I've said before, man, this was a, a crowd that was obsessed with social standing. They would do whatever it could take to grow higher in honor and higher in the esteem of everybody else, to, to be up and up inside the social rankings. And it was also a city that was filled with slaves. One-third of the population of Corinth were slaves. In fact, one of the main slave trade hubs of that time was in Corinth. So Paul says, though, he says, I'm not like these other guys. I'm trying to up and up, up myself into the name of honor, the name of a following, or the name of being popular. He says, I'm not that. If I'm going to talk about myself, I'm going to talk about Jesus and make his honor bigger and his kingdom bigger and his glory bigger. And then myself, I'm just a slave to Jesus. I'm a servant. That's how I'm going to talk about myself. And then we see why his picture of this is so powerful in verse 6. And that is, he says, his own conversion experience changed him and makes him want to share it with other people. Verse 6, the beginning part for God who said the light shall shine out of the darkness is a reference to Genesis chapter 1 where God created the universe. And then he says, the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That language is very similar to when Paul in the book of Acts describes what happens to him on the Damascus Road. 
where Paul is, if you know the story, he's going to Damascus, and suddenly Jesus appears to him, and he sees the glory of God in Jesus' face, and it's so bright. The light of God and the glory of God is so bright that it literally blinds Paul for a season of his life. And what he's doing in verse 6 is by connecting Genesis chapter 1 to his own conversion, is he's saying, hey, just as God... He said, my, I was so steeped in what I was doing. I was so going my direction that it had to be a miraculous power of God to shine in my heart and my life. And he says, but the power of God to shine a light in creation and create the universe with a word <laughs> is the same power of God with a word that could change my heart and life too. The God that could say to darkness at the beginning of creation, light could say to Paul's heart at the beginning of his life with Jesus, let there be light. And it happened. And he says, since Christ has mercifully shown his light in my heart, he says, then we give that same light to the knowledge of the glory of God to other people. Because there's other people that still live in darkness like Paul was doing. I love candlelight services. Uh, been to a bunch of them, and usually the ones I've been to, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about when I'm saying a candlelight service. I know, especially the older ones, y'all probably have. I don't know if y'all, the teenagers, have seen this as often, um, or the kids. But essentially, in a candlelight service, either the whole service or part of the service, you don't have the lights on, and instead, the whole auditorium is lit because everybody is holding a candle. And they, the light from everybody's candle lights up the room. And it's awesome, it's serene. It's sombering. It's, there's something special about those services. I've been in candlelight services with 1,000, 1,200 people before. And it's amazing how you start off this one person who has a candle, and they just light another candle. And then as each person turns, they, so you light a candle, and the person then turns to the person next to them, and they light their candles. And as each person helps, as they turn to the people nearest to them to light their candle, you can almost stand at the front and watch the light just shine and go bright. And the room that was once dark gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And literally a crowd of a thousand people in minutes could have everybody's candle lit. Do y'all realize how long that process would take if one person lit every one of those 1,000 candles? Think about it. One person with a candle going up, all right, one, 999 to go. Two, 998 to go. Three, 997 to go. I did the math. At 10 seconds a candle, it would take almost three hours to light up a congregation of a thousand people. Three hours. But because people instead just turn to the people next to them and use their light to shine on the people next to them, it can happen in a matter of minutes. Do you see what Paul's trying to say here? Yes, Satan blinds people to the light of the gospel, but the light of the gospel is more powerful than Satan is. And if God has shown his light in your heart, you have a light in your heart to shine to people. So let it shine. He says, we as Christians then, he says we have been given a ministry, we have been given a mercy. The, the task of shining the light of the gospel is not reserved for just a select group of people. If you call yourself a Christian, it's your ministry, it's your mercy, because God's light has shined in you. 
And your job then is not to take the light and hide it under a basket or put it under a bed. Your job is to take that light and let other people know. And just like how inside that candlelight service, that all it takes is people turning to the people next to them. You don't have to get out of your chair. You just turn to the people next to you and you light that candle and in minutes the whole room is filled with light. You have people in your classrooms sitting next to you. You have people at work that are sitting next to you. You have people in your neighborhood. You have people in your clubs. You have people at the grocery store. You have people in your family that are sitting next to you with unlit candles. And Paul says, if you have a light, let it shine. Tell people, be biblical and be encouraged. Because God has given you a ministry by his mercy to share the story of Jesus with the person that's sitting next to you. So talking about Jesus can be hard, and it can be difficult, and it can be brought with ups, and it can be brought with downs. But the encouraging Paul tells us is we are to be biblical, and this is the main takeout. Be encouraged and be biblical because Christ has given you his life to shine. So if Christ has given his life to shine in your heart, let it shine.